Well, for the past several weeks, we've actually been looking at different situations that require prayer. And last week, we saw a desperate situation, and we're going to look at a couple of more desperate situations this week. Last week, we saw a father who was desperate for his son. His son was battling suicidal tendencies where the spirit was throwing him into the water, trying to drown him or throwing him into the fire. Now, I just can't even imagine what it would be like to be a parent and have to go through those kinds of situations. And here this father is, he was desperate, came to Jesus and he said, if you can help me. And Jesus replied, if you recall, we, we kind of laughed at it. He goes, if I can. It's like, do you realize you're talking to Jesus? I mean, it's just kind of crazy. But then we went on to see that Jesus did this great miracle and this whole life changed for them. Well, this week we're looking at another story. And there's actually two stories woven in together. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, we're starting with verse 21. We're just going to read through this whole um, story as it happens. So Jesus was on the other side of the lake. He was ministering and he was you know, just giving out the word, going through it all. And then he goes across. We pick up on verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Verse 23, he's pleading fervently with him. So again, we find another father who is desperate for a touch from God. And this is what he said. He goes, my little daughter is dying. A few weeks ago, I shared the story about my daughter who was dying in my hands in the emergency room, and there's nothing we could do, and just saw the miracle of God just touch her in that emergency room before they were able to do anything. And, and that is a phenomenal story in the, the history of our family. And I can relate to this dad who's pleading fervently with Jesus, saying, my daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. What a desperate situation. Jesus just got through ministering over on the other side of the lake. He takes a short boat right over here. He gets off and he finds this guy just waiting for him. He's like, please come with me. Jesus went with him. I just see, he just dropped everything and went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. I want you to bear that in mind. He's, all these people are still there. They're all crowding around him. Now, the second part of the story that's in here, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had not gotten better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Isn't that terrible? She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. She'd been over and over. She'd saw this specialist. She'd been here. She'd been there. And, and it was very primitive, the medicine at that point. I mean, even thousands of years later, they're, they're still doing bloodletting. They're putting leeches on you. They're cutting you. you know, they're doing all these things that they're just hoping is going to do something. She suffered through all of these different things because she's desperate to find a solution She'd spent everything she had, and she hadn't even gotten any better. In fact, it got worse. So here we have a father who's in a desperate situation, who's asking Jesus, please come pray for my daughter. And here is this woman in the crowd, in the crowd, 
She'd been suffering for 12 years. She'd heard about Jesus, verse 27. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Now I want to paint this picture to you that because she was dealing with an issue of constantly bleeding, she was considered unclean. She was considered not able to be in the general population. So she had to be shunned. She was out here off on this you know, outside the camp. She was here. She wasn't supposed to be around anybody. And so she didn't want to be get into a prayer line. She wasn't coming up and saying, hey, disciples, can I please get up and see Jesus next? She had to stay away from everybody. So here she is just kind of like on the down low. She's just kind of crawling through the crowd, came up behind Jesus, and she's just touching his robe. For she thought to herself, verse 28, if I can touch, just touch his robe, I will be healed. She's like, I don't need to make a scene. I don't need anybody to see me. In fact, I really don't want anybody to see me because I'm not supposed to be here. But if I can just get to his robe, if I can just touch onto that part of him, I know that I can be healed. I mean, can you see the desperation this woman is at? She's tried everything in the world. She's depleted all of her money. So here she is in a terrible situation. She doesn't have any more money. She's gone through all these terrible things to the doctors, and there's not any solution. In fact, it's getting worse. She's like, I'm desperate. I'm going to reach out to Jesus because I've heard about who he is. She touched his robe. We saw that. Verse 29, immediately. I love that word. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Isn't that amazing? Here she'd suffered for 12 years through all these horrible situations. Immediately when she touched Jesus, it stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Isn't that a dreadful situation? Isn't that a horrible place to be? And here she finds herself in this place just of turmoil, she reaches out and touches Jesus, and she is healed. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once. So the same way it immediately happened with her, Jesus immediately knew something had happened. said that the healing power had gone out from him. He felt the power of God that was residing in him went out into her, and he's like, who touched me? Now, disciples, we looked at a few weeks ago, also were getting bogged down in all the things of the earth and just the logistics and everything, and Jesus is up here in the spirit realm. And they look at Jesus, and they're like, look at the crowd that's all pressing in around you, and how in the world can you ask, who touched me? Who touched my robe? I want you to see that there's crowds all around Jesus, and they're all pressing into him, so much so that when Jesus felt the virtue go out of him, and he said, who touched me? The disciples were like, everybody's touching you. What in the world kind of a question is that? How in the world can you even ask that? Everybody's touching you. Jesus didn't even let that phase him. He kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had just happened to her, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she'd done. Picture this. Jesus 
just came across from ministry, gets off the boat. This leader is praying, and he's desperate. He needs somebody. To, he needs Jesus to touch his daughter, and he's desperate. Jesus stops everything. He's going with them. They're on the way, and this woman works her way through the crowd. She reaches up and grabs a hold of Jesus' robe. The virtue goes out of him. She's healed. Jesus stops everything. He goes, what's going on? And here she is. I mean, just, it happens just like that. All of a sudden, she's just frightened. She's trembling. She, can you imagine the elation? She had 12 years of this horrible situation remedied just like that. Said she felt the change in her body and the bleeding had stopped. And she told him, can you imagine the awesomeness of that woman in that moment? Her desperate situation touching Jesus had changed everything. The next verse, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. I love the way Jesus talks. I just love Jesus so much. Here she'd been ostracized. She'd been pushed outside the camp. She'd been pushed away by everybody. She'd been shunned. No one could have her around family. No one could be around her at all. And here Jesus is bringing her back in and says, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And we'll look at that again in a moment. Your suffering is over. It's a new day for you. It's not the same as it's been for the last 12 years. This is an amazing miracle that just happened. And the crowds are all pressing around. And here's Jairus with them. And they're going down this path. And and all this stuff going. This whirlwind of stuff. And while he was still speaking to her the messengers arrived from Jairus' house. And they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the master, the teacher. Wow. Can you imagine the whirlwind of this woman is healed and just the awe and wonder and just, it's, it's, Jesus is like, man, your faith. Jesus wasn't even proactively engaged in this healing. She just used her faith to attach onto him. And here this whole thing is. It's just this great big, wow, this is awesome for this lady. And then they come to Jairus and said, you don't need to bother him anymore. Your daughter's dead. But Jesus overheard them. And he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. He had just encountered this woman, and he said, woman, daughter, your faith is what healed you. And he pointed back to that moment and told Jairus, just have faith. Jesus had just spoken to the faith of that woman. And now Jairus had just witnessed this phenomenal miracle. But what emotion it must have been for him to see someone healed before his very eyes, but seemingly it delayed his miracle. Have you ever thought about that? Because Jesus took time to stop and be with her. She stopped the whole press of everything that's going on, the whole crowd, the whole entourage going to Jairus' house. She stopped it all by her faith. Seemingly, it delayed Jesus to get to Jairus' house. Verse 37, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anybody go with him 
except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and said, what's all the commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. That's crazy. There's a whole crowd there, and they're helping the family grieve. And, you know, one of the jobs that I've had as a pastor is to be there with family members when their loved one transitions to eternity. And that whole moment's right after, and, and dealing with all that. And while it's sad, it's grievous. And, and, and there's just so much emotion there. There's also the, the celebration of they're not in pain anymore. They lived a long life, and we start switching and transitioning over to how their life was and, and their favorite moments and the different things they had there. But can you imagine Jesus coming in like, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Well, they all know who Jesus is. Wouldn't that make you go, well, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to see what's going on here. Next verse says, the crowd laughed at him. Not only is that disrespectful to Jesus, that's disrespectful to Jairus and his family. I mean, they just lost their daughter. Here, Jesus is still coming. He told Jairus to have faith, and he says, she's just asleep, and they're like laughing. They went from all this uh, just being overly weeping and crying and doing the whole drama scene to laughing at Jesus. Do you see sincerity in there? But he, Jesus, made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples. He went into the room where the girl was lying. And, and you can continue reading that story and, see, and read the rest of it. It's really amazing. He goes in there. He tells her to get up. And she gets up. And he goes, hey, she's really hungry. Go get her a happy meal or something. But she needs to eat something. I mean, she'd been sick for a while. And now here she is. Get her, feed her some. Get her some food. Jesus healed and changed that whole scenario. But can I point out some things to you? Jesus had three different categories of people that are around him. We noticed the crowd. I pointed that out to you as we went. There's the crowd of people that were all around him. The crowd of people there at Jairus' house. They knew about Jesus. They'd heard about him. They'd heard the stories. They'd probably even heard the testimonies of people that had been healed. They weren't moved at all by it. When he spoke, they laughed at him. See, they knew about God. They had some version of God in their life. But it wasn't anything that changed anything in their life. And then there were those who came to see Jesus. They were actually there to to see him, and they were pressing in all around him. They're just part of the, the big entourage, the big crowd. It's just like, hey, this is cool. What's going on right now? Let me be a part of this. And they're touching Jesus. And the disciples are like, man, everybody's touching you. Well, how in the world can you even ask that? See, there's all these other people that are touching him. And they didn't get anything from God that day. But there were those people who were desperate. That woman who worked her way through the crowd when she shouldn't have. It was against the rules. She had her faith set. Jairus had his faith set. Pushed through. And their faith let them touch Jesus. 
In John chapter 1, verse 12, we see him talking about Jesus. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. See, there are people who are around, and they're all aware of God. But did they receive him? Did they believe in his name? We're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we're asking God to do some amazing things in our lives. We're asking him to touch this region, to touch Plano, to touch Dallas-Fort Worth, to touch Texas, to touch the United States, to touch the world. But we have to receive him. We can't just be a part of the crowd that just like, yeah, 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 I know about that Jesus guy. Yeah, I've read the Bible. I've heard, uh, what about the scripture? What about that? Ah, uh, you know, just, uh, you get all these different questions. I mean, it's, it's amazing through my life to be on an airplane and people find out that I'm in the ministry because they want to ask you all these outlandish questions. And what about Job? And what about this? And what about that? And, and all these different things, they just have this, it's almost like they're immunized against God. They have some kind of an idea, but they don't know what's really going on. And then there's this other level that maybe they even come to church and they're like, yeah, 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 I checked this, this box of religion. Yeah, I, I was at church on Sunday. And yeah, I came to see Jesus. But they didn't receive anything from him. It was just still part of a duty. But then there are the ones who receive him. And those who believe in his name, those who believe that he is going to change them, they get on the path and say, God, I don't understand it all. But I'm going to get on this path and I'm going to follow you. See that woman with the issue of blood? She had an issue. We don't really know what it was. We don't know the details. I mean, there's a lot of speculations of what the bleeding was. And how, but she had issues. Can I tell you something? I have issues. Can I suggest to you, you might have issues. If you say, I don't have any issues, that's your issue. You know, there's just things in our lives that are still needing that touch of God, that little completion. And the other things we've seen in the past few weeks is that God is the one who's at work in our lives. He's, he's doing these things to change us into the way he wants us to be. But it's a process. This week, during the 21 days of prayer, we looked at another scripture. But you know, in us all having issues, I believe that there are people who have exhausted all their options for help, just like that woman. That the only thing, the only option was Jesus. We take the connection cards at the bottom when we have the prayer requests and cut them all up and they're spread out on here and they're like four lines deep and they go all this way across here. And man, as I read those, we keep the confidential ones, you know, aside. But as I read the ones that are out here, there are people in desperate situations. There are people who are crying out and saying, God, I need you to help me. There are people whose spouses are dying of a terminal disease. Who, they've got children that are, are falling away from God. There's just all kinds of desperate situations, just like we saw here. Many times, they're exhausted everything. They have nothing else. 
James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes. <laughs> this is not one of my favorite scriptures. This is not my life verse. Notice it doesn't say if or perhaps. We saw a couple of weeks ago about the house built on the sand and the house is built on the rock. Same storm came to both houses. When trouble comes, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Boy, doesn't that just make you happy? Wow, I got some opportunities going on. Man, I got some trouble coming my way. This is just great. No. It's difficult. Verse 3 says, For you know, I love his confidence in that we know this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Wow. How do you get endurance? You don't go to Amazon.com and order endurance. You don't go to Walmart and pick it up off a shelf. It's something you go through. But James is saying, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I love the next verse. So let it grow. If we can lay into those four words and just lay back and trust, so let it grow. I know that when I face trouble, when I have situations come against me, it's God who's working this work inside of me that I can just say, okay, God, I'm going to let my endurance grow. I'm not going to get all worked up and go, it's been 12 years that I've been dealing with this issue. Or next year, 21 days of prayer, I may still be praying over the same thing. Or I was praying over this last year. Or five years ago, I prayed, when is this thing ever going to be that the woman for 12 years had this issue? Let it grow. For when it is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We saw last week that that's God's plan for us, to be perfect, complete, well-rounded, that we're the whole package, that everything is there. But this is the part we don't really want to talk about so much, that we've got to let endurance be fully developed. Again, in 21 days of prayer, we need wisdom. Verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. That's why we come here at 6 o'clock in the morning. We're asking our generous God, saying, God, I need some wisdom in this situation. I have this prayer request. I'm just asking you, God, I, I don't know what to do. I've got some things in my life right now. I don't know what to do. I have my natural thoughts. I have this way that I think I should go. And I think, but what if I go this way? Is this a better way? Is this a godly way? Is, they both could be good. Which way am I supposed to go? God, I need some wisdom wisdom I'm asking of you and he will give it to you he will not rebuke you for asking and keep asking and keep asking God I'm still desperate for a touch from you God I'm still I'm still here I was here yesterday I was here all last week at six o'clock in the morning and I'm still here 
He's not up there going, oh, will you just sleep in and stop coming and asking me for this stuff? It's like he will not rebuke you for asking. I love verse 6. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. See, because we live in a world that we can slip right back into our own wisdom and go, man, this is what I think I should do. Okay, God, I'm going to ask you about this. What should I do? I don't have the answer right now, so I think I should go over here and do this. But God, I'm, I'm asking you for this. My faith and my asking has got to be in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from God. I challenge everybody at the beginning of the week, when you're coming to prayer, what are you expecting from God? We have to come expecting something. But this says, and I, I think that it should be phrased a little bit differently, to say, do not waver for a person who is divided. Loyalty is as unsettled as a wave in the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people, it shouldn't just be that, it's all there together. Such people, the ones who are blown away, they're like, okay, I'm going this way. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. Oh my gosh, is it this way or is it that way? You're just tossed around and you shouldn't expect anything. You're not even giving God a chance to move in your life. For their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in all that they do. So as we're in the middle, the beginning, a third of 21 days has gone by. We pick back up tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. And it really is wonderful. It really is pretty amazing to see God move. And the order, it's, it's not... Like you're going, oh my gosh, is it done right? Oh, it's only been five minutes. It really is a great time. But as we come to the 21 days of prayer, bring your requests. Get them to us all the different ways that there are. But here's another challenge that I issued this week, and I want to challenge you as well. To find five people and tell them, say, hey, our church is doing 21 days of prayer. And our pastor challenged us to find five people and ask them what we could pray for them for. And I've got some cards up here that we can write them down on. Or you can email them to us. You can send them to prayer at cotrdallas.com. If you've got our app, you can, uh, the app, we just added it yesterday. There's a place for a prayer request on there that you can click on that and it goes in there. We'll print them up and we'll put them out here. But everyone that I've asked, they all look at me and go, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. You see, I believe God wants us to be a light into our communities. I want to challenge you to find five people If you were with me in prayer last week, I'm asking you for five more people and ask them what we can pray. And lastly, it's not too late for you to join us. If you haven't been coming with us, hey, there's no shade, there's there's nothing, we're not condemnation on anybody or nothing. 
it's just a great time. You still have plenty of time to get in. Tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock we'll be here. We're very judicious of your time. We're out right on time, a few minutes early generally, so you can get on with your day. We just want to see God move in this area. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, I love the scripture that says, Ask our generous God. And Lord, it says to have our faith firmly planted in you. We saw situations where people were desperate. And Lord, I know people who are desperate for you. And Lord, we just ask you to move in their lives. Lord, we ask you again for all the prayer requests. And as we're going to lay them all back out here and pick it all up again in the morning. Lord, I just thank you that you're touching your people. Lord, I give you this word. I give you this message. And as challenging as it is to me, I pray it is for all of us and those who listen, those who hear my voice on the different mediums that they can hear. That God, you touch this area and you touch your people. In Jesus' name I pray.